Another day Another dollar Makes you wonder where your money went Hi folks, this is Jack Spirico with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, the things we can all do to live a better life. If times get tough... Or even if they don't dictate it, it's almost always the case during my 50-mile commute between Arlington and Frisco, Texas, on a beautiful, sunny, blue sky Friday morning. And it is April the 3rd, 2009, and I believe this is episode 172 of the Survival Podcast. As we share another uh, morning drive together for me, and God knows what it is for you, it could be Monday for y'all. I know some of you guys listen to me one day out and carry over the weekend before you listen. I know some of you listen in the evening at home, some of you listen on your afternoon drive back home. So however it is, I'm happy to share it with you. And again, I I have to point this out once in a while, and it won't be that big a deal today, because we're not going to talk about politics, economics, or anything like that today. Uh, But the show, I always say it's one man's view, and one man's view is just another way of saying one man's opinion. Now, I'll present things to you, and I'll say, according to a report from the CDC, this is what is fact. And when I do that, that's a factual reporting. But this show is commentary. It's my view of survivalism. It's my view of the world. It's my view of liberty. So anything that you listen to and I go, I don't agree with that, it's okay. It's okay to disagree with me. This is not talk radio where you call in and go, oh, I think you're wrong because, and the guy on the talk radio show goes, shut up, shut up, I'm tired of all you liberals, or I'm tired of all you conservatives. It doesn't work that way here. Everybody's entitled to an opinion. My one challenge to people out there in the world is, Know why you believe what you believe. And that's my biggest concern for America today. And I don't want to go off in that area, I guess, change the uh, tone of today's show. But it's my biggest concern of, of America today is, and it's not just Democrats. It's Republicans, it's Democrats, it's Independents, it's everybody. Do you know why you believe what you believe? The next time you find yourself agreeing or disagreeing with a politician... If you're disagreeing, you're probably right. You can tell when they're lying because their lips move. But ask yourself why you believe that. See if you have an answer. If you don't, dig deeper. Find an answer. Don't change your position just because I'm telling you this. Just know why you believe it. So getting off of that, what are we going to talk today about? We're going to talk about survival, the survival skill kit today. Developing your survival skill kit. And I'm going to talk about skills that uh, maybe sometimes are you know common. And maybe some that are overlooked. Hopefully quite a few that are overlooked. Because that means I'm doing my job. If you get done with today's show and you hear of one skill on today's show that you decide to go out and develop or learn more about, and you never really thought about it as a survival skill before, then I've done my job today. I want to make sure that every day I leave you with at least one thing you've never thought of or considered before, be it a skill, be it a, a component of survivalism, be it a, liber- a thought on liberty, a thought on government, a thought on justice, a thought on the Constitution, a thought on the United States, a, a thought on nationalism. I don't care what it is, but I want to at least leave you with one thing every day differently than you thought the day before. Even if you disagree with it, it also challenges you and makes you go out and learn more. Done the right thing. Before that, let's go ahead and knock out my house cleaning. Uh, first thing I want to let you know about, once again, is I will be at Dirt Time 09 with Wilderness Way in San Bernardino, California in August, uh, doing a uh, workshop on survival gardening. 
I'll be doing that in conjunction with 12 other survival experts. It's a week-long event. Really awesome link in the show notes. Learn more about it. Region 5's big bug-out, camp-out, shoot-out. Come one, come all. Goldthwaite, Texas area around Memorial Day weekend. Organized by Dan Tanner. Big thank you to Dan Tanner. David Crawford has a post on the forum about uh, a survival drill. I'll put a link to that in today's show notes as well. Really cool idea. This will probably be either the week before the Region 5 bug out shootout or a couple weeks after June. I'm hoping it's in June because that's when I'll be able to possibly do this. I've got a really full schedule filling up, so we'll see if I'm able to uh, pull this off. My wife's also getting tired of the concept of being drugged to all these things along with me, and I think David's drill requires you bring the dogs, the kids, everything. So uh, we'll see how that goes. <laughs> anyway, uh, one more thing there. Well, I'm mentioning David Crawford. Of course, he's the author of the fan fiction novel Lights Out. I'm doing an audio version of that. And I'd like to point out that uh, I've started to sell advertising on the survivalpodcast.com. And. Uh, there is, you'll start to notice some banners filling in the uh, right-hand margin. And uh, once we get a few in there, we're going to start doing once a day, I'll be saying, you know, check out our sponsors on the, the show website. And our sponsor of the day is XYZ Company, and uh, that'll change every day. I'm going to give a different sponsor a show mention every day. When I get to the bottom of the list, start over, keep doing that. What might be interesting for you, though, as a listener, is to understand how we're vetting advertisers before we allow them on the website. I often hear from people that say, uh, we'd like personal recommendations from you. We don't really want um, sponsorship to the point where like, you're recommending people because they pay you. We want to know who you would really recommend. Well, you know, to run a show, you've got to have some kind of, uh, of an income stream from your sponsor. So I put the sponsorship program together, and I did something I don't think anybody's ever done before. I have this awesome staff of moderators that, that moderate the forum, and these guys are involved. They're engaged. They're internet savvy. They know how to quickly research a company and see if there's any complaints out there about them. They know how to look at things, evaluate them, make decisions, be rational. So when I have an advertiser apply to be listed on the site and get show mentions, I post them in the forum. Say, uh, here you go, mods. Tear them up. Let me know. Thumbs up, thumbs down. If more than two of my moderators, more than two, or two or more, actually, if there's two or more moderators that say, I don't want this guy on the site, I have to turn the advertiser and his money away. And I am completely out of that decision, If I, even if I completely disagree with it, even if I think it's being taken the wrong way. I am putting the power to decide who is allowed to be recommended and endorsed by this show in the hands of the people that safeguard our forum every day, that are listeners to the show just like you, that have your best interest in mind, that want to make sure that we only recommend the very best. And uh, will it take me longer to sell out my advertising space that way? Yes. Will it be more challenging initially that way? Yes. Will it do a better job of serving you? Absolutely. If you go to the survivalpodcast.com, you'll see a, a kind of little ugly black banner that says uh, advertise on TSP, click here for pricing. Click that, read my ad policy. That's exactly what an advertiser sees uh, when they want to sign up as an ad advertiser. And you can see uh, that that's how we're taking care of you guys. So, uh, 
a little longer house cleaning than normal today. I just wanted to point that out for when you do start hearing advertising on the show, that they are personal endorsements, personal recommendations uh, at the show level that have been backed by the mods. So on with the show, the uh, Survival Skill Kit. Now, you know, we often hear about survival kits, emergency kits, 72-hour kits with a bug-out bag, etc. Now, a skill kit is intangible like that. It's not something you can throw on your back. Uh, it's not something you load in a vehicle. It's something you either have or you do not. The beauty of it is, though, can't forget it. It can't be stolen from you. If you have a skill, it's yours and you own it. And as long as you can breathe and you have hands and you have eyes and you can move, those skills are yours and you can use them. So what skills should a survivalist have? I think one of the biggest skills that we should be trying to develop as survivalists, uh, and it's not thought of as a survivalist skill, and it's a, a waning trade that people aren't really that interested in going into much anymore, is carpentry. I want you to think about a post-shit-hit-the-fan world, a real bad one. I mean, something that really drags the country down to a point where we have to be self-sufficient, where no one's coming to help you. You don't pick up the yellow pages and dial a number anymore, reach out and touch someone, and have someone come over and build a shed for you. You don't run down to Home Depot and buy a shed. You don't have, you know, D.R. Horton build you a house. You're on your own. You're on your own, at least at the community level, you're on your own. Well, how are you going to get things done? How are you going to build things if you don't have base? And I'm not saying, like, you have to have a carpentry skill to go out and build a house from scratch. But understanding how to build things. Basic use of wood, hammer, nails, and saw. How to put together joints, minor joints. Tongue and groove joints. Just how to do these things, how they work. Even if you're not highly skilled at them, to understand how they're used. Dovetails, why are they used? When are they used? What are the principles behind them? These things are important because we're going to have to build stuff. And that's why I think a lot of these little projects, solar dehydrators, solar ovens, some of the things I've seen people do, building a vertical garden. Uh, there's a cool form, and I'll see if I can find it this morning when I publish it, where uh, Sister Wolf, they put together this awesome cage, and they have all the food inside this cage. I think I figured out roughly in the thing that was about four feet by eight feet, I want to say, three and a half feet by six, three and a half feet by 16 feet, I think is roughly what the dimensions of this thing are. And I think they're able to grow an awful lot of food in there just looking at the way they have it set up. And it's got this caging around it, so none of the animals can get in there and damage any of the food. And it's really, really cool. But you're developing a skill set when you build something like that beyond just what it does. You're training your mind and your hands. You're training your thought process. You're developing a skill to be able to take raw materials and turn them into something of value and something of use. You have to think about it this way. I could take a basic set of hand tools and a big stack of wood and give it to one person, and they could end up driving a nail through a thumb and getting nothing done and accomplishing zero and not even know what they're supposed to do with it. And I could give the same stuff to another person who could build not just a simple structure, but maybe many convenience items to go in that structure and actually protect and support life with a skill set. Now, both parties have the same material. They have the same tools. Why does one 
see a pile of wood as something to burn to keep warm. And the other one see a pile of wood as something that can be used to construct the things that are necessary for life. The skill set. It's the skill that changes raw material from, from fuel into something of a lot more value. Another survival skill that I think people just fail to understand how important it is, how valuable it is, is the skill of negotiation. How do you negotiate? How do you go out and talk to somebody who may not initially trust you and not only earn their trust, but negotiate a deal that's mutually beneficial. See, negotiators are mischaracterized. People think a shrewd negotiator as a guy that always wins a negotiation. You never win a negotiation, folks. If you win a negotiation, that means somebody lost in a negotiation. Then it wasn't a negotiation. It was bullying somebody. And the problem is, that person's going to come away from the negotiation thinking, I don't want to do business with this person ever again. I'm lost here, and I'm not in business to lose, even if my business is simply surviving another day. So I think this is a skill set that doesn't really get talked about. There's a lot of strong personalities in the survival community. People always want to have things their way. You know, they're individualist. That's fine, and you're running your own little fiefdom, your own little kingdom, your own little household, your own little world. Better not try it with your women, folks, though. They'll put you in your place real quick, man. You go out and tell your women, it's my way or the highway. You're going to be packing your bags and leaving. So, you know, limit yourself there, too. But just having a basic skill set of negotiation. In your home, it'll make you a better husband or a better wife if you know how to negotiate. Because that way, the only way you can effectively negotiate is to understand what the other party wants and needs and desires. And figure out how to get them what they want and get what you want at the same time, as a father, as a husband, as a wife, as a brother, as a son, as a cousin, you should want the other party to have what they want too. A negotiator's greatest skill is determining how to get both sides what they want as best as possible. But when it comes to a shit-hit-the-fan scenario, being able to negotiate with another group so that you guys can support each other, because no man and no group of men are an island, folks. If we end up in that really, really bad situation, that really tough situation, read the stories from the Great Depression. Read how people worked together. Read how people pulled together. It only happens with negotiation. Real quick plug, I wrote a book called The Inner Salesman. I'll put a link in today's show notes. You might want to buy that book. It's really for salespeople. It was written by me and uh, my partner, Neil Franklin. Uh, But the whole thing starts out with how society came together because of the salesman. And the salesman is really the ultimate negotiator. And I think there's a lot of value in that book for the survivalist stuff. So that's the end of that plug. So what's the next skill, maybe, that a survivalist should be developing uh, that we don't really talk about very much? To me, it's basic problem solving. If you train your mind on a daily basis, you look around you. I mean, this is this is an example of this. And, and I've given this idea to Starbucks at the highest level that will listen to me. And, of course, they haven't done it. But... This is an example of what I mean by always training your mind to problem solve. Even if you don't tell anybody about it, just do the exercise of your mind. I go into Starbucks. Uh, I 
once or twice a week. Now, I used to have this like $8 a day coffee habit, and I listened to my own show, and I realized I was wasting money, right? But still, once or twice a week, I treat myself after lunch to a nice, big Starbucks coffee made for me, you know, at the Starbucks place. And uh, Starbucks coffee's pretty strong, right? So you go in, you order your Starbucks coffee, and they say, would you like room? And you say, yes, I would like room. I want to put milk in my coffee. Your coffee's strong. And they leave you about, oh, a quarter inch of room in your cup. And you say, give me more room. They'll dump a little bit out. And then you're just like, you know what, now you're wasting my time. Give me the freaking cup. And you go over to the garbage can and you dump out enough coffee to make room to actually put cream in there and have it matter. So the coffee looks like creamed coffee instead of dark brown gray mixture, right? Alright, if you ever had Starbucks coffee and you like your coffee with a decent amount of cream in it, you know what I'm talking about. Well, I noticed something. I'd be standing there and somebody'd say, Oh, you do that too. So one day, I wasn't in a real hurry to get back to work, so I filled my coffee. I went over, I picked up a newspaper laying on a table, I sat there and I watched the next five people. Of the next five people, three people dumped coffee into the trash can. I said to myself, you know what? These clowns would, on their cups, put three little hash marks on the top. One, you know, a little bit down, another one a little bit more down, and one, you know, quite significant amount of headspace. And then when they asked people what how much room you want, they could say one, two, or three as far as hash marks. And since there's millions of Starbucks stores out there, that this would probably save hundreds of thousands of gallons of coffee a day that wouldn't be wasted and dumped out, that would put money directly to Starbucks bottom line. Now what the hell does that have to do with survivalism? It's having a mind that works that way in the first place. It's You're driving down the road, you see a truck, right? Like I'm looking at right now, the guy's got his bumper wired up. Bumper fell off. He's held up with a freaking extension cord holding his bumper up. I can't think a lot right now, but I'm thinking, how could this guy do a better, you know, how could he fix that? Everything that you see around you that looks wrong or funny, analyze it for a solution. Understand, sometimes your solution won't be a good one. It doesn't matter if your solution's a good one. Sometimes I come up with some really crappy solutions because I go try to do it. And it doesn't work, and then I learn from it. But it's about having that thought process, because what that does, it's just like working any muscle group in the body. If you work at bench pressing every day, and someday you're being crushed by a boulder, then that training pays off, and your body instantly kicks in, and you push the boulder off of you so it doesn't crush you. As long as it's not a 10,000-pound boulder, then you're dead no matter what. But you get my point. When you train your mind to problem-solve, you end up in a survival situation, and there's something threatening you or others, be it something you can sit back and logically think about or something you have to instantly react to, your mind engages and goes into that mode, problem-solving mode, on now. Right? You don't have to think about it. It just happens. Same thing. You train yourself. You go to the range. You train yourself how to draw your pistol, how to remove the safety, how to engage your target, how to move. All right? How tactical response teaches you. Move. Get off the X. Don't be a stationary target. Get moving. Draw it down. Make the shot. If you ever end up in that situation, the muscle memory, the mental memory takes over... Tunnel vision goes in. There's the threat off the X. Bam. 
That's the hope. That's why you train that way. When you train problem solving, you engage the same reflexes. And it's if it's trying to figure out how to get across a stream in the wilderness, find food in an urban survival situation, or help someone that's been injured, it's all the same. Because your mind is your most valuable survival tool. So I'm saying to hone it. And you do it however you want to. You do what you like with the information I give you. Maybe you're a person that plays Squidoo. Maybe you're a person that does other mental mind teasers and stuff like that. I've never been good at those. I don't like them. I find them boring. I find them pointless. Some people love them. They're training your mind. Crossword puzzles, things like that. Other people find them interesting. I find them boring. They're still training your mind to look, analyze, solve a problem. I prefer to look at the world around me, see the problems that I can find in it, and look for solutions to them. How can I improve this? How can I make this better? Here's somebody that built a solar dehydrator. That's great. What about at nighttime if the wind's not moving? Can I put a little fan in there and a battery and a solar panel and a a light switch so that all during the day the air moves because of the sun and at night the little fan turns on, continues the air process so I can drive more faster? That's a project that I'll be doing soon. Will it work? I don't know. I don't know if that's going to work, but I'm going to try it because it's part of the mental exercise. That brings the construction, carpentry aspect together with an engineering aspect, with a problem-solving aspect. It's important for you to exercise your mind. Here's this thing that's going to sound crazy when I say it as a skill. Walking. How can walking be a survival skill? Well, if you end up stuck somewhere and you got to get the hell out of there and you don't have a vehicle, the only thing you have are your two feet. Now, some of you guys jog and run and go to the gym and work out, and that's great. That's wonderful. You know what, though? If you have to cover 15 miles carrying a bug-out bag, it ain't like jogging. It's not that jogging won't help you, but it ain't jogging. You ain't going to run 15 miles with your bug-out bag down the road trying to get to your loved ones because you were in a situation where you weren't home when whatever happened, happened. What you're going to pretty much have to do is load up what you can take with you and go for a 15-mile walk or longer. So I think it's a good skill to practice just to be in the condition for walking because walking and running are actually quite different. People that run two miles a day often have trouble keeping up on a 10-mile walk with people that walk five miles a day. I know that doesn't seem to make sense in our aerobic, you know, fitness world, five-minute abs, ten-minute butt, whatever, society that we live in, but they use different muscle groups and they impact the body in a different way. And walking at a good pace for a sustained period of time while carrying a load is a hell of a lot different than running at a significant pace for a relatively short distance. So it may be something you want to do every day is just take a walk. Use it to spend some time working on that problem-solving ability in your mind. If If you've picked up on something during the day that doesn't look quite right, take a walk that evening when you get home and run the problem over in your head and do the two things at the same time. 
Does it sound like survivalism? Trust me, it is. You're training your mind and your body simultaneously. And you're training yourself in the most limited way you can think of to multitask, to problem solve and physically cardio train at the same time. And you can do this when you're on your treadmill running. You can do this when you're taking a jog. And if you're a runner, I'm not putting down what you do. I'm not saying to stop doing it. I'm saying, you know what, throw a backpack on and take a walk once in a while. Even if you just take a walk at lunch, instead of sitting around the office, eating a sandwich, and hanging out with people, maybe eat your sandwich quickly and go find a place to take a walk every day at lunchtime. Just a half a mile, a mile, a mile and a half, whatever you have time for. Just walk every day. It'll improve your mental function, it'll improve your physical health, and it'll prepare you for a day when you just might have to take that long walk. And for some folks, I know people that have gone on, like, you know, wilderness hiking trips, up hills, down hills, mountains, carrying a pack that really, like, it's their first trip like that, and they're in really good shape, and they go with a buddy. And this buddy is a guy with a little bit of Dunlap's disease, like I got, where your belly Dunlapped over your uh, waistline. And uh, they look at the guy they're going with, and they're thinking, yeah, this ain't going to be bad. I've taken guys hunting, you know, especially up in the mountains. They look at me, and they go, well, I can keep up with him. And they're in good shape, and they go to the gym. But they don't walk. They don't carry weight. They don't carry a load. And about an hour into it, they're sucking wind hard. And you've never really moved fast, but you've moved as continuous, and you're moving up and down different levels and different layers. And you're dealing with situations when you go on those wilderness hikes that are different. People don't realize, even when you're going downhill, you're not on concrete. You're on a trail. Every little rock and stick and pebble that makes your foot angle a different way changes the way every muscle in your body has to respond to hold your weight back when you're going downhill or pull your weight up when you're going uphill. It has a magnified increasing effect. So take a walk and occasionally take a walk where there's no pavement. Find a park somewhere even. Just, you know, it doesn't have to be long. But it's an important thing to do. And you'll learn things when you take your walks because you'll be alone with your thoughts. Another skill, and this one does get talked about a lot, but I think it gets overlooked by some people who take more of the storage approach, is food preservation. And I'm talking about canning, drying, pickling, uh, smoking, all the different ways you can extend the storage life of food beyond its typical shelf life without refrigeration or freezing. And I'd even put refrigeration and freezing in there in, in the, you know, the things like just learning how to properly blanch vegetables for freezing. Because you may be in a situation where you have to rely on your own production and storage, but you do still have power. There's a lot of ways to have some power, be it through alternative power sources, maybe the grid's still functioning to a degree, or backup generators or what have you. But you could get into a situation where you need to be preserving your food. And I find it's usually the person that does what I call buys a solution that doesn't develop this skill set. What I mean is they get the emergency essentials catalog and they look through it and they go, there's a three-month food supply for 340 bucks, and they buy it. They go out to the grocery store and they buy food store food the way that I talk about. A few months later, they realize they have a little bit more money saved up. They buy another three months from emergency essentials. And eventually they look and they have six months of food for the entire family in a combination of short-term and long-term food storage items, and they go, I'll need to learn how to dehydrate a potato. I got a pile of potato flakes there. 
And my question to you is what happens when the food runs out? What happens when it's gone? What happens if your house is wiped out and your food along with it? It's important to know the storage methods as well. So even if you don't store a lot of food that you self-preserve, I really recommend that you teach yourself canning, blanching, dehydration, smoking, you know, biltong making, beer, wine, and mead making, excellent methods of storing. Believe it or not, there's quite a bit of nutrition in a good home-brewed beer. So, you know, look at learning these skills as well. And I want you to think about a person that's a good problem solver, good at building things, has the ability to cover long distances on foot, knows how to store food, and a shit-hit-the-fan scenario as part of a community. You think that person's going to fit into the community well? Do you think they'll fit into the group well? Do you think people will look at that person and go, we want that person here? Do you think they'll thrive in a shit-hit-the-fan scenario, or do you think that they'll falter? I think they'll thrive. That's why you want to develop as diverse a skill set as possible. If you have a diverse skill set, you'll still be in a situation where you can't do everything. But you can teach, and you can extend your skill set. I think that the people with extensive skills kits in a shit-hit-the-fan scenario, a paw world, a post-apocalyptic world, if we ever, God forbid, end up there, the people with the greatest skill sets, they're going to be the special forces. They're going to be the special forces. And I want you to think about what special forces really does. Special forces are a force multiplier. Yeah, they're the they're the most badass warriors in the world. They can take a weapon apart and put it back together in seconds blindfolded. They can speak multiple languages. If you're in a firefight, you want them on your side and you sure don't want them fighting against you. Bad news if you have to go up against them. It's a great way to go meet your maker, whoever you think he or she may be. But what's their real mission? Is there a real mission? You take a thousand of these guys and tell them, go take that airport? No, that's what Army Rangers do. That's what the infantry does. No, what Special Forces do is you take four to twelve guys, and you go, we're going to drop you off in this strange country. Go out there and organize a guerrilla group. Train them how to fight. Train them how to resist. Train them how to organize themselves, how to lead themselves, how to provide for themselves. Go out and create, with four people, a force of 4,000 people. That's what Special Forces does. And I'm not using the name Special Forces as an umbrella for all Special Operations troops. I'm using Special Forces as in the United States Army Special Forces, the A-teams. This is what they do. They do a lot of other things, too. But this is their primary function. Four men create 4,000 men. In a post-apocalyptic world... In addition to having to defend yourself, you have to provide for yourself. The person that can do all these things and do them relatively well is the special forces troop that takes people who maybe stayed grasshopperish a little bit too long and makes them productive and useful in the community by helping them learn a skill that they have no clue even exists. 
So really think about that as you're developing your skills, that you may be called on someday to be that type of a leader. And that's not the kind of leader that gets a lot of glory, but it's the kind of leader that helps people and empowers people. And it's the kind of leader that follows the motto that a leader is not the first. A leader never strives to be first. A leader is the first to strive. It's important. That's why we do all of these things. Another skill I think that we need to develop is our conversational skills. And this is not really negotiation. What I'm talking about is being able to take people that are panicked and calm them down. This is a skill that is taught to EMTs and paramedics and doctors. To be able to take a person that's just freaked out about what's going on and say, hold on, hold on. You have to be able to get control of yourself here because I need you to help me deal with the situation. And I can't tell you what you say in any given situation because the real skill is learning to say whatever the person in the situation needs to hear at the time. That's the greatest skill of a military leader. One of my friends tells a story, he was in the British paratroopers, and they have this big beam they have to walk across, way up on this tower, and if you fall, there's nothing to catch you. You fall to the ground, people have been killed making this fall. But if you don't go across this beam, you're not in the paratroopers. And the, the, you know, the guy gets set up by the corporal. And the guy gets up there and you know he comes back down the ladder. He can't do it. And then a sergeant screams and yells at him. Get out there, you low life. Get going. You don't want to fail. Get out there. Get across there. And the guy's screaming at him. He's sitting there looking at it. And, you know, I'll do this to you. I'll do that to you. I own you. And the guy can't do it. He can't do it. He can't do it. And the guy comes back down and he's ready to wash out. He's got one more chance. The colonel comes out. Sees what's going on. Walks over to the guy. Whispers in his ear. Just talks to him real quiet, real calm. The guy gets back in line. Go, 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 go. I'm letting a guy around somebody. He's too stupid to go. And I'm trying to get not get rear-ended at the same time. Alright? So, he whispers to the guy. He gets back, gets back in line. Goes up the ladder. Never pauses. Straight across the, the, the beam like it's nothing. Comes back down, goes on, gets his qualification in the British Paris. And you say, what did that colonel say to that man? He told that man whatever that man needed to hear at that moment. That's why he was a colonel. And that's a skill set we need. And we may never actually be proficient enough to have it at the level that a, a British Paris colonel has it. It's a pretty advanced state to be in. That's why he's the colonel again. But we can develop it enough so that we take the panicked person and make them part of the solution instead of the problem. Because whether it's an individual acute tragedy, like a car wreck, or a major breakdown of society, when you're keeping your head and you're trying to solve the problem... Everybody on your side is an advantage. Every victim needs your help. And everybody that's panicked is a counter to an advantage. They're a disadvantage. So it's your goal to have the conversational skills required to say to the person the thing that they need to hear right now that says, Listen, we can solve this together. I know what to do and I need you to help me. And those may be the words. They may not. 
It's going to be up to you to start learning when you're dealing with situations. How to read a person. How scared are they? How frightened are they? What is the thing that will turn on the internal courage for them and make them realize? I promise you with most women, it's if they have children, it's their children. Hey, your kids need you. Done. Well, okay, whatever it was, I'm out of it. Yeah, 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 i got to take care of this. All right? <laughs> you know? But it's always different. It's always different. Sometimes it needs to be said loud and forceful. Sometimes it needs to be said quiet and soft. Sometimes it's a question, sometimes it's a statement, sometimes it's a command. It's up to you to develop your skill set. Because trust me, folks, since you're paying attention to what's going on, one day it may be up to you to take control of the situation. And it's been seen at all levels. It's been seen when an entire school is panicking during a disaster, and some 14-year-old kid, old kid stands up and says, All right, we got to get out of here. Follow me. And even the teachers line up behind that kid and follow him where he's got to go. It's the demeanor, it's the action, it's the statement, it's a calmness, and it's an assertiveness, and it's a belief that I know what to do right now, let's go do it. And like I said, anything from a car wreck on the side of the street to complete total unrest of civil disobedience. You may be in a situation where you have to give that to somebody else someday. But be ready and be prepared to do it. The final skill I want to talk about today is navigation. And I'm not talking about like, you know, being some super trooper that can grab a compass and a, a, a map and, and start shooting back azimuths and, and get where you need to go. That's a great skill. It's a great place to get to. I'm talking about the most basic ability to read maps, to interpret, do some of the things I talked about yesterday. If you are in the middle of nowhere, you don't know where you're at. You have a map that has the general vicinity on it. To be able to find, you know, basic streets and cross streets and go, okay, now where am I at? To be able to think clearly like that. To understand if you're drawing a basic map because you know how to get somewhere to somebody else, some, some, for someone else, the north is freaking up. I, I'm telling you, I've had people draw me maps. And they go, you go this way, and they're going up the paper. And I go, what direction is that? And they're like, oh, it's, you're going that way. I'm like, that's east. East is, east is, you're looking at the paper, it's to your right. West is to your left. North is up. South is down. And you get the response. And you just, you know, if you understand a map, and somebody sent me a cave map, and yes, cave maps are different. We're not drawing a cave map, so don't send me the cave map again. If you understand map reading, it, it, it drives you nuts. Listen, north is up. At least put a thing on the paper with an arrow pointing in the direction that north is and put an end there when you're drawing a map for somebody. Learning how to draw basic hand maps. Following the rules of maps. Following the, the, the cartography rules. Knowing how to use something you know as advanced as Google Maps down to as, as basic as drawing a hand map yourself. You may be in a situation where you can't leave and you have to tell somebody, go here and get this. You have to be able to clearly give them directions. And I, I don't like to do anything that looks sexist, but women, you're the ones that are the most challenged here. You don't tell people, you kind of go around and, you know, I've gotten directions, basically the directions were... You go down I-20, past the A-20 merge, stay on I-20 and exit Anglin. And there was an entire discussion around 
The 820 split that you don't take. You just go straight past it, working your way around it, and you go up over this bridge and but no. You take the road, you go straight on it. Alright? Don't make your directions overcomplicated. Learn to give, take, and understand, interpret directions. Somebody's life may depend on it someday. It is that important. It may be. This is how to get this guy to the hospital because he can go and they can save him. And if I take my hand off of this guy right now, he's going to bleed out and die. And I'm the only one I trust to keep my hand clamped on this. You go get help. You take this guy to help. And somebody come back and help me save this guy's life. It could be that someday. And we try not to be that traumatic on the survival podcast. But once in a while, i got to be. i got to point out that the things that you're learning today, your own life or someone else's life could depend on it someday. And at times, being able to go somewhere quickly and end up in the right place may be one of the most important things about it. It may simply be, honey, look, plan A, B, C, and D are off the freaking table. All of our bug out routes are blocked. There's no way to do that. We need to improvise right now, Route E, because we're still going to the same place. Look, I'll meet you one mile outside of town XYZ. That's where you got to go. Pull out your map and go there. Can you do it? I know a lot of you that are listening to the show right now are going, well, duh, of course I can. Can the people you care about? How many of your fellow Americans do you think can't? You know, my son, God love him, one day said to me, he goes, you know what, I'd solve all these, these bad drivers. I'd fix their problem for them. I'll fix it real quick because I'd have 20% of them off the road. And I was like, I'm proud of my son. How are you going to do that? He goes, driving test. No more of this turn here, turn there, park here, pull out, go over there. Here's a light. What do you do? Make a right, make a left, go back. Okay, here's your license. He says the driving test should be, all right, uh, we're in Arlington, uh, North Arlington, uh, here. Uh, Here's a map. Uh, Do you know where DFW Airport is? No. Good. It's right here on the map. Take me to the airport and back. You're going to be on the highway, you're going to be off the highway, take care of everything on your own, drive to the entrance of the airport, don't go inside it, make a proper U-turn using what's available to you, there's something there, I'm not going to tell you what it is, and bring yourself back here. And he said, if you fail the driving test, and it costs you $20 to take it, the next time you take the driving test, it would be $40. And if you fail again, the next time you take it, it's $80. And if you fail again, the next time you take it, it's $160. You can take it as many times as you need to to pass it, but every time you fail, the price to take it again doubles. And he said, within within five years, you know, people that are on the road that we wouldn't get off having to retake their test or whatever, we'd have 20% less driving. Drivers and the worst of the worst wouldn't be on the road anymore. And I thought, my kid's pretty smart. I did a pretty good job. But it brings out a point how many people can't simply navigate other than the places that they go every day. You can ask people that drive on a specific road. Do you know where road XYZ is? And they're like, I've never heard of that road in my life. And you're like, you live here. Like, uh-huh. You work here. Yeah. You drive on it every day. Oh, I don't know the names of the road. I just... Uh, right? So train yourself in basic navigational and map reading and map drawing. It's an important skill that can save your life or someone else's. And work on all these skills. Develop them holistically. Understand that this is a fraction 
today that I've covered. I could do. I might do a show Monday of just more skills, a fraction of the skills that are often overlooked or taken for granted. And what I mean by taking for granted is, oh, I know how to do that, but do the people that you might depend on know how to do that? Do they think the same way? Can they navigate the same way that you can if you aren't there to do it for them? So that you can focus on doing what you have to do and know, hey, she's going to be all right. She knows how to get to, to, to XYZ Town. I'll see her there. Think ahead that way. It'll make you more at peace and more calm. That'll improve everything for you. This has been Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast, helping you figure out how to live a better life if times get tough or even if they don't. And you can holler, it really doesn't matter because it all gets spent.